This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chain and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on the show, we will be talking to John Gatorna, founder and principal of Gatorna Alignment, a boutique advisory firm based in Sydney, Australia, that works with selected clients around the world to help them develop customer focused and innovative supply chain strategies. And John is one of the most respected supply chain thought leaders in the world today. So never has this mission to develop and implement innovative solutions been so important for everybody as it is today, as our supply chains emerge reeling from the impact of COVID and must now face into doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the road to decarbonize our global economies in the coming years. So welcome, John, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thanks, Patrick, and uh, nice to be with you. You're very welcome. So, John, your career stretches back over several decades and includes executive mm. roles in the corporate sector, academic research, university professorships, authoring several books, and now thought leadership through your boutique advisory firm. Could you tell us a little bit about your career milestones and how they came to shape your view and conceptualization of supply chains today? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I started off as an engineer, um, uh, did an engineering degree at Melbourne University and uh, worked as an engineer for about nine years. Uh, and in that time, I worked for uh, a public works type of road construction authority and, and two American companies, um, but first Vickers Detroit Hydraulics and also another company called FMC Corporation, both of them American. It was a good experience for me, but towards the end of that, I was getting a bit fed up of engineering and did my MBA at Monash University, also in Melbourne. And it was during that time I met Mark Doctoroff. Mark Doctoroff was uh, a Fulbright scholar. He was out from Canada. And he was the one that brought uh, the idea of uh, teaching physical distribution, what was that called in those days, in the mid-70s, uh, to Australian universities. And I did it, um, and I got sort of hooked on, uh, hooked on it, and I sort of got to the stage where the, 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 the interest or the hobby became greater than the, mm-hmm. the, the career, as it were, and I decided, boy, I think I might get into this. Looking back on that, um, you know, Patrick, it was an amazing sort of uh, – uh, preconception, because if, if four de- decades later, if I could have imagined that everyone would be talking about supply chain, and yet back in those days, no one even knew what logistics was. Um, it was just a very lucky break. Anyhow, long make a long story short, I went to decide to go and do my PhD to leapfrog into the field and uh, looked around and decided to go to Cranfield. That's I knew Martin Christopher, I knew David Wills, uh, uh, Gordon Wills, David Walters. There was a whole group of them that had come down from Bradford to start the new um, business school at Cranfield. So I arrived about three years later um, in 75 there and, and sort of uh, just started to do my uh, PhD. And uh, and really, we stayed there for five years. I, I almost got to the point where we just decided we were going to stay in UK, to tell you the truth. But we had two young boys and, and the weather was getting us down, so we decided to come back to Australia and we came back here. And, when I came back, the only way I could get back in was to uh, sort of take an academic job at University of South Wales teaching marketing and logistics. Uh, but to, to answer your real question there, my, I, I guess my, my mindset was really framed at Cranfield because they are unique. Uh, Martin Christopher's approach to logistics was very much the marketing logistics. In other words, it wasn't an operational field. It was very much a field that focused on the customer, and that's the way it was researched and taught. So when I came back to Australia, I taught it that way, and then after a few years, I got fed up with the academic scene here because it was not a shade of what it was at Cranfield. So I started my own 
consultancy in the uh, mid-80s and built it up over 10 years and, and to the point where Anderson Consulting approached me and eventually became Accenture uh, and bought my business and I went and started there. And that, that was a break for me because I was getting to a stage where I needed a bigger, um, a, a bigger pond to swim in, as it were. And uh, that gave me a lot more resources. And I ran, built the whole sort of Asia-Pacific practice up over seven or eight years and retired from that um, in the 2003-04. Now, for a couple of years, I sort of just sort of recovered. Uh, but then got, got, there were people calling and wanting to do stuff. And that's when I got the idea, why don't I have it, get a small group uh, of us and just work solely on not, not sort of ordinary stuff that consultants do, but wicked problems and try and develop the theory. Because the big problem, in all through this was that um, logistics and in what became supply chain, uh, it was very operational and it didn't have a lot of underpinning conceptual strength. And so a big part of my life then was to concentrate on developing frameworks and templates which would guide us in the design and operation of, of our contemporary supply chains. And that's what happened. And one of the key ideas, I think, that possibly came out of that was this idea of dynamic uh, alignment. So what, yes. what is the essence of, of this idea and what does it look well, like in practical implementation? Well, it's funny because um, I was very fortunate when I first got back in, in my consulting, I was joined by a guy who came from South Africa um, and who had a PhD. And he, his strength was very much looking at, in fact, his PhD had been all around this idea of aligning uh, internal culture with um um, strategy, and his hypothesis was is that if you if you don't actually align the internal cult- subcultures in the business uh, with the strategies that you write down, you get a lot of spinning of wheels, and you end up you know not delivering the strategies you said you were going to deliver. And that, that we all know this has been a problem for years. Implementations are never as good as we thought. And he he joined me um, in in the in the business early on, and we started talking about this concept of alignment, but extending it. We, we said, well, why don't we go further out and look at the marketplace and say, how, what is the marketplace telling us? And then we had the, the strategy bit in the second level and we had the cultural bit at the third level. And the, only, the fourth level we added was, was leadership. And we came up with this idea that if, if uh, and, we, and we wanted to test it, and we, it, was a business, it was a business model. It wasn't a supply chain model in the first instance. It basically said, if you want to run a business and make money and do well, uh, or it could be a non-for-profit, there's four things you've got to line up. You've got to um, understand your customers' expectations, align and, and come up with you know value propositions which meet those. And the third level is you know create uh, subcultures in the business that can propel these uh, value propositions into the appropriate uh, segments. And finally, uh, you need a, a leadership at the top that's understands what's happening in the marketplace and therefore knows how to shape the cultures to drive the strategies. And, and the fascinating thing was that we, we had all this conceptually and then people started asking us, you know, I'm sick of this one-size-fits-all supply chain. You know, the big question then became, well, if, if one-size-fits-all is not, not is flawed because it implies that all customers are the same and therefore we have one supply chain running, you know, meeting them, um, it, the question then becomes, you know, if one size fits all is flawed, how many supply chains running through the business or pathways do you need in practical terms to actually get about an 80% fit to the marketplace? Because in a lot of companies, the one size fits all was creating about a 10% fit and everyone else and then creating too many exceptions. And so we spent years, and I mean decades, uh, researching and working with companies. So we, we found the answer. And the answer was four plus one. 
the, the plus one is the extreme distort, you know, situation where you, which you've just seen with COVID, where you do something incredible, you forget about costs, you just have to be creative in overcoming disruptions. But the four sort of business as usual type supply chains really came from us understanding that there were four major uh, behavioural segments that we found uh, for most products and services out of a possible 16, but there were four that we saw a lot of, and that was the, you know, the segment that tended to buy on loyalty and, and, and you know, would share things and be collaborative. The segment that was just looking for lowest price reliable, people call that the lean segment. The agile demanding segment that's sort of opportunistic and won't share. And one that we found later on, called we called it the project segment or campaign segment, where uh, you know, major construction, uh, you need a different supply chain than you do in FMCG. And so, um, in, in, and so we, we started testing all these with, in depth with companies like Fletcher Challenge in New Zealand, uh, Snyder Electric Globally, um, Shell, Unilever, and everywhere we went and everything we did with it, it just got better and better and it just proved their point that, that supply chains are actually driven from outside in and we've got to get away from just you know, designing them from inside out, as it were, and that was our big thing and big practical sort of breakthrough. Sounds like a systems approach, a whole of business yeah. approach to thinking about the yeah. supply chain. So you know the way in companies you get kind of siloed uh, disciplines. So how are the best companies managing this? Is it through having maybe a supply chain supremo in the business or educating all the departmental heads in supply chain, no matter what their specialization? So how is that done in practice? Well, in practice, the, the best companies have CEOs that have a vision that, you know, customer meeting customer expectations and improving uh, customer satisfaction is is the way to go. The question is, well, how to do it? And say so in the case of Snyder Electric, uh, the chief exec there, uh, they they had a very good company running. They made great product, uh, and they initially started to try and rebadge some of their production people uh, as to become supply chain people, and it just didn't work. So the CEO went out and he um, he headhunted and, and found Annette Clayton, from, who'd come through General Motors and was at, at working for Michael Dell in the high-tech industry at that time. And she came across and she sort of, I'd met her early on in her when she arrived and uh, and, and she bought into this whole idea that um, the, the verticals are fine. We need them. We need specialisms in production and, and um, you know, finance and marketing and so on. But actually, customers buy horizontally. And because particularly when you got to around 2000 and customers started using the internet and things started moving very much faster, um, it was impossible for um, a functional head to run a vertical and also be part of a horizontal. And that's when companies like um, uh, Zara, you know, recognising that they come, they're in the fast fashion business and they had to do something different. They started, to, and others like Adidas tried it as well, and the numbers, starting, they, they seconded people out of those functions and put them together in a multidisciplinary team and then focused them on particular segments in the market, which were like cross-functional flows that went across those functions. But they had contacts with those people because they had informal contacts with people inside their own team, contacting and being in touch with the people. And that's really the way that I, I can't think of a better model. It's not a matrix model. It's a, it's a dual model where they both the vertical and the horizontal work in sync, uh, help each other with both of them having KPIs, which contribute to get, getting maximum customer satisfaction and doing it quickly. And that's really what uh, the strength of Zara is and people like that because they've been able to, uh, you know, increase the clock speed of their business uh, to roughly about, I don't know, 15 days 
against the nearest competitor 30 days or a department store might be 120 days. So, you know, the organization design is crucial to tell you the truth. Yep. You mentioned there along the way this uh, concept of uh, outside-in uh, thinking. So, so w- what is this and what are the implications of it? Look, it, you know, it's, the problem is is that in, for the first 50 years, from about 67 when supply chain was first sort of written about in the Harvard Business Review, for the first 50 years we, we had people sitting in businesses with the right, with a good, you know, with, a, with the, all the right intention saying, I think the customers want this. Um, most marketing departments didn't or commercial departments weren't really telling or helping the, the logistics arm of the business. They just expected them to, from virtually a standing start, to, to do a good job. Well, you can't do that. So uh, the idea of outside in is to say, how do we, as a supply chain group, get a direct link and understanding of the customer's expectations? And in the case of Snyder Electric, um, we didn't just ask marketing, um, you know, Annette Clayton had such uh, credence with the uh, chief executive that she had her own budget and we went and did our own research. So it, it's it's about segmentation, really. It's about segmenting uh, customers, not along, don't segment them along institutional or industry lines or big or small or profitable, all those things. You've got to segment them based on what expectations do they have as they look back towards their supplier. Um, is it they're looking for, um, you know, a safe um sort of relationship and for which they'll pay a premium uh, or is it they're looking for the lowest cost leanest sort of supply or are they looking for something quick response from time to time and the real complication is that the same customer can have different buying behaviors depending on the situation they're in so they could be you know lean one day and then suddenly they've forgotten something and they want a quick response so that they they want an agile response and that's why the word dynamic has crept, crept into this that you, you have to design a, a, a range of processes inside your business so that you can switch a bit. It's a bit like switching train tracks. A product can switch across and be delivered in different ways depending on how the customer wants to be uh, uh, serviced. And it could, it could mean different pricing, uh, different time schedule, different packaging, uh, even different branding. Um, and that's, that's the bit that's it's really um, stomped it's it's made it's made it very difficult to to do because many marketing people thought that you could segment customers and put them in a box and just assume that that's what they were at forever and that they would stay there. But the answer is the customer's moving. So if we have a if we have a static supply chain and the customer's moving, we're always having to sort of follow the customer and it becomes uh, a, a question of uh, exceptions. Whereas if you've got four or five guns pointing out the window and the customer's moving, you just start to pull the levers depending on. Uh, what approach the customer is requesting. In your, so that's the way it is. 93.9, Dublin South FM. Yeah, in your in your latest book, uh, Transforming Supply Chains, published just in 2020, of which I have a copy here on, on my desk, uh, you yep. speak about this and, and you set out these five main uh, supply chain types, which I think are uh, the collaborative yep. supply chain, lean, yep. agile, campaign, and fully flexible. So could you just set out briefly the key distinctions between those types? Yeah, the, the, basically, they're, they're the mirror image of, of the segments that they're serving. So the collaborative supply chain is very much servicing that group of customers that we, we know is generally collaborative. I mean, this word collaborative has been overworked a lot. Mm. But in every market, every product market situation we've found is that there is some percentage of collaborative customers. who And the, big, the best way to um, gauge whether customers are uh, generally collaborative is if, if they will share their data with you. So if you've got people who will share with you what their forecasts are, you'll sit down with you, um, you know, 
and and therefore that makes life very easy. Uh, you, you can the cost of producing for those people is a lot less because you're not having to you know, use a lot of capacity. You know exactly what you want for them, and everything's scheduled. And they pay a premium, and they they're risk averse, and that's great. The next group is the transactional customers that probably are forty to fifty percent in some markets, and that's the lean supply chain, and basically. They don't want any of this relationship stuff. They they tend to buy the, the great thing about them is they tend to buy the same thing all the time. So if you look at your data, you can sort of see what people are buying and you can forecast it. So for both collaborative and 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 lean uh, supply chains, there's a fair bit you can do around forecasting um, and getting it pretty right. But then you you move beyond that to the the what we call the dynamic customer or the demanding customer who's opportunistic. They don't share anything. They turn up on your doorstep. You haven't seen them for three years. They, they want this. They want that. You, you can't see them coming. Um, and so to, to service them, you sort of need to carry a lot of redundant capacity in, in, you know, in your system. And that's the fashion market for you to some extent. If, if, you, go, if you go to uh, look at Zara's outfits, you know, it's amazing where, you know, they, even though they control it to some extent because a lot of their fashion is going into their own stores, they still have – surges of, 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 of product coming from their, um, you know, the suppliers and some of their own factories into their DCs and out again. And if their DCs weren't empty, then they wouldn't be able to absorb them and, and, and type of sort them out and send them out. So the, the big problem with the, with the um, agile supply chain is, is it does require uh, capacity, uh, redundant capacity, and that kind of costs some money. And people who, the big problem is people want, Agile response for a lean price, if you like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's there's what we call the campaign supply chain, which is big projects like you know London Airport. Um, t- it takes several years, a lot of planning involved, uh, putting a lot of assemblies together. Everything. It's not just like making baked beans in a factory and shipping it to a wholesaler. There's a lot of uh, design work, a lot of assembly, a lot of uh, crane lifts and putting things together. It's a different sort of supply chain. We call that the campaign supply chain and and it's all about uh, you know grouping things together and having uh, and making sure that the products that you're going to use in putting these assemblies together are not stolen by another part of the company and shipped out somewhere and suddenly you end up on site with something that's short and you've got to expedite it so they're the four main ones and then the final one is the fully flexible supply chain which is a positive and negative it can be used in a, in a time of great disruption, like a volcano, like we saw in Iceland years ago, or the floods uh, in Thailand, um, where it, it creates havoc with production. Um, you need to have thought through what you do in advance. Have you got alliances? Have you got other sorts of um, substitute suppliers that you could pull in? It's in at a national level. It's a, a very good. Le- Example of it is the bushfires. You know, the bushfires in Australia or the bushfires in in southern Europe. None of those governments have got enough equipment to fight them. So, whole governments take equipment. They help each other. They bring in air air tankers and send people across. And it's the same at the company level. You've got to do a lot of thinking so that when the hits the fan, you you can't just start thinking about what you're going to do. You've you've set it all up. The positive side of fully flexible is that um, another example of that is um, you know. Uh, chocolate uh, Easter Easter eggs, if you like. Uh, mm-hmm. You spend a year building up, and then you release them on the day. So there's a massive sort of uh, distribution, as you like, uh, throughout the country in a very short time. That takes a bit of creativity. So it, they're the five that tend to pretty much cover. But there's some variations around those because, in behavioural terms, 
uh, there's about 16, if you talk to the psychologist, there's about 16 different mindsets that, that we in the human race uh, have. And I, as, a, as, a, as a business person, Ben, how would I find out from my customers, customer profile, who's who? And um, would I be going into my uh, data, my order data records and doing yep. analysis to find out? Yes, you and, can. And is the implication of that then that most businesses will have to be able to uh, work on the five or would it be tend to be one principle and then maybe two or three of the others? How does that pan out? What, what, what'll have, you can make some choices. You, you, there may be, you'll find that those five will be present. The four of them, the, the last one is, is something that happens only in extreme conditions. But of the four, you'll find that the, the only thing that differs from country to country or product to product is the different proportions. You know, In some country products, you may have more lean or if you go to South America, there may be more um, uh, collaborative. But to come back to your original question, a lot of it's in the data. That's why I say to people, frankly, if you're a billion-dollar firm and you haven't got a bunch of uh, data analysts culling through your data, uh, conducting analysis like um, a coefficient of variation, where you look at the fluctuations, you know, in in the in the in the actual demand data, you can actually see uh, the baseload type data, which is largely repeat buying, which is that collaborative. Uh, demand pattern, or even some of the lean shows a very sort of shallow. But when you see big spikes like that, uh, it's 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 clearly you've got some agile thrown in. One one thing, one analytical approach won't help you. The other, you know, sort of corresponding thing you do is from time to time, and you don't have to do this very often, but every maybe five years, you you go out into your marketplace and you do some sampling. And you use conjoint analysis or trade-off analysis techniques that they use in marketing all the time. And marketing people have been using this uh, conjoint analysis for years where you where you just don't go to people and say, what would you like? Because they'll say, I'll have everything. You give them a number of choices and you force them to trade one thing and another. And the combination of those techniques and the data, you start to see broadly what, and it doesn't have to be accurate. It might, you might see that roughly 10% of my market is collaborative, 40% transactional, 30 or 40% is is agile, and you know 15% is is um, uh, campaign, and 1% is is fully flexible. Once you know that, you can do some reverse engineering to make sure you've got those sorts of things covered. And you've got to be updating that, I guess, because next year yep. it might be different, or in five years. Yeah. Well, the, the good news is that the, you know it doesn't change rapidly unless something really desperate happens, which is what's what's happened just recently with, with COVID. It has actually changed the buying behaviour hugely because what it, by having people isolated at home, there's been a big shift away from uh, spending money on, on services and restaurants and travelling and all that stuff. And what are people doing? They, they've, they've embraced uh, e-commerce. And so you, you've seen the amount of e-commerce has gone up. I can't remember the figures now, but it was, it was something like, um, I, I can't, the the, the growth has been about 20 or 30% per, per annum in the last few years. And then in the last year or so, there's been about a 40% in, uh, increase in uh, e-commerce over uh, just uh, you know standard sort of purchases. So um, with the big trick here, of course, is, is when things flatten down again in another year or 18 months after COVID settles down, will people go back completely to where they are or will they – uh, stick with a lot of this e-commerce, which is very demanding because it's very much the expectation of, of of short lead times. 
At, at uh, Gatorna Alignment, at your, your firm, you run a uh, supply chain retreat series each year yep. at different, different venues around the world. And for 2022, yep. uh, the theme of the series is resetting global, regional, national supply chains for a post-COVID world. So what are the major factors and trends that you'll be examining then in this next series? Well, I, I think we, what we, we're going to try to do is sort of bring to people's, you know, um, direct attention that we're now in a post-COVID, now in a sort of two-tier world, if I could call it that. Uh, we reckon business as usual volatility is probably going to be greater than we've seen before. Uh, so we could be looking at 30 or 40% fluctuation in uh, supply side dem- uh, and demand side, because supply side is also a problem with components and things coming in and raw materials. And, and we've got to, we want to talk about how, what sort of supply chain configurations can cover that type of fluctuation. And then on top of that, we've got to be prepared, and, you know, with the, um, the fully flexible supply chain to, to cope with a once in 10 year or once in 20 year extreme fluctuation, which may happen at the regional level. It may be a flood or it may be something like that, or it could be another virus getting out of China and, and, and creating havoc across the globe. So that's what, and the major part of it is we're trying to get people de- away. We're looking at this idea of deglobalization, if I could use that term. I think globalization has gone too far. The driven by procurement people who have had KPIs to reduce cost at all costs, sort of thing. And so they've extended our supply chains to extreme uh, lengths. What we want to do is reduce the length of our supply chains. So look out, look for um, regional and local sources of supply, so that if things go wrong, we don't have we're not extended so far, and we want people to start to uh, start changing their priorities around from from again lowest cost at any cost to resilience, and and saying look we we want to be able to survive the volatility of the future. Yes, we may have to pay a bit more, but isn't it better to be around? Uh, then, you know, forced out of the business. So that's really what Reset is, trying to get that balance right, uh, Patrick. Uh, sounds like maybe after the 2022 series, there might be another book in the pipeline after... Uh, I think there is. Every four or five years, we get the, the blood rushes to the head and we, <laughs> okay. we've, we've got enough uh, content in our heads to get it down on paper and get it out there. We, we, we love doing that because that's part of our whole vision, if you like, is to uh, develop our thinking and then put it out there for people to use and interpret. Okay, so as we come to the end now, how can listeners find out more about you, about your, your work, your thinking, your writing, and, of course, the Supply Chain yep. Retreat Series? Well, uh, look, um, I think, Patrick, the best thing is to go on our website. Uh, I, everything I do, my blogs, uh, articles, uh, books, etc., they're all on www.katornaalignment.com uh, or www.johncatorna.com, either one. Um, and uh, th- there they'll also see some details around the uh, forthcoming uh, series of global retreats, which, by the way, are another forum for us to take a small group of senior people and explore some of these uh, things that we've been working on. Over in this case, we've missed the last two years, so we've got quite a build-up of material to to discuss, and we love doing it because we uh, we get back into that interactive mode. Zoom's been useful, but it's not the same as having a good power wow uh, locked in a room with thirty very uh, motivated people. Sure. So that's Gatorna Alignment. Alignment. Um, yeah, just one word, Gatorna Alignment, one word, www.gatornaalignment.com. And Gatorna's got two T's. Is Gatorna, that, is that a Maltese, yep. Italian? Uh, no, it's Italian. Uh, it's got two T's, G-A-T-T-O-R-N-A, Alignment, uh, just the normal word, Alignment. Uh, and the, that's the whole idea that everything we do, we're trying to 
uh, we started out business to business alignment. Then we realized that within businesses, there's a whole lot of sort of strands running through a business and we've got to make sure they're lined up. And in many ways, the analogy I'll make, we, we use the sort of term, it's the the supply chains now are very much the central nervous system of our business and our enterprise. So, uh, yeah, we it's it's Italian uh, descent uh, out of Genoa a long time ago, um, but um, uh, we're here in Australia now. And we, in fact, I'm going to write a book about the family when, when I get a chance, but I haven't got time at the moment. Excellent, very interesting. I look forward to that. So, uh, thank you, John. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure, and uh, wish you the very best for the for the upcoming series in 2022. Thank you, and uh, we'll make sure that. Well, you're coming. To, you're coming to uh, one of them anyhow, so you'll get a, a first-hand view of it, uh, Frank. Yes, I'm looking Patrick. forward to it very much. So, thanks okay. also to our uh, listeners for tuning in. Any comments or questions, just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com. Keep well and stay safe until next time.